listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. Three hundred and eleven thousand active pharmacists in the United States. To me, uh, a fan of pharmacy, a talking head of the pharmacy industry, embedded into our healthcare uh, delivery system. Seeing how fast pharmacy has changed over the last seventeen years that I've been part of, and have been honored to being part of the pharmacy industry. You know what, you people out there, you pharmacists, you pharmacy technicians. Your head's down, you're grinding away, you're getting burnout, you're getting frustrated, you're you're happy, you're not happy. I mean, we're all human beings. We're going through this pandemic. Oh my goodness, the pandemic. The pandemic of how it's accelerated the stress on our frontline healthcare workers, our pharmacists, people in specialty pharmacy, health system pharmacy, our community pharmacists. You guys are heroes. And I look for leadership. I look for voices in the industry that are changing um, the the menu, changing the mission, transforming, I should say is a better word, the mission of where pharmacists are headed and the leadership that they're providing to changing healthcare barriers. They're changing the obstacles, they're removing the obstacles to getting our patients better healthcare services. And along the way, they have to be sensitive to the fact that they're they're getting tired. They're they're beat up because of this pandemic. We know what they're going through. It's exciting for me to be contacted by major organizations that are leading our pharmacy industry. And today is a really special day for the Pharmacy Podcast Nation because we get to introduce Dr. Rena Shaw. She is the Group Vice President in Pharmacy Operations of Walgreens. Dr. Shaw, this is an honor to have you here today. Thank you so much, Todd, for having me. I'm really excited. And I'd love to just kick off with just saying what you had said at the very beginning, a big thank you to our heroes, our pharmacists. I know that they're near and dear to us, um, you know, especially as pharmacists ourselves. We know the impact that all of you make. Um, We know that it's been a couple of years where it's been tough, but you've been responsible for saving lives. We are back as a nation in a different place because of all of you. And um, I just can't say thank you enough to our team for continuing to support our communities, to support um, our patients, our each other, as well as the other healthcare community that's out there because it's, it's one team between our pharmacists, our physicians, nurses, so on and so forth. And um, I know that we wouldn't be where we're at if it wasn't for all of you. And so uh, just a really big, big thank you and my gratitude to all of you as you, you know, as, as we come out of this um, pandemic to eventually an endemic, but really as you, as you also join me and Todd in really shaping the profession for the future and where we can go. Dr. Shah, I really appreciate you kind of staging today's conversation because we're going to be discussing the expanding role of our community pharmacists, the impact that pharmacists are having to our country during the pandemic. Um, We're going to talk about insider provider status impact ideas. 
uh, technology in the hands of the pharmacist, which is so exciting for me to talk about. I can never talk about um, digital therapeutics and pharmacogenomics and con consultative services mm -hmm. enough <laughs> of what's happening to the pharmacist. But you know what? No one warned. No one warned me. No one warned Walgreens. No one warned you that there was a pandemic coming. It's yeah. not like you know, big publicly traded corporations were sitting back thinking, oh yeah, we're all prepared for this pandemic because none of us were prepared. And it came upon us, it came upon us really fast, very quickly. And then it started mm -hmm. really impacting people, started killing mm -hmm. people, started, you know, and we had to react as quickly as possible. And, you know, I'm a tiny little publication in the realm of all of these amazing pharmacy times and drug topics and all of these major publications in our world. And I'm this nimble little tugboat that can really turn on a dime if I need to, so I can serve and support our listeners, our associations, our state and our national associations. But I can only imagine the stress that's on organizations and people uh, like yourself who you have to manage and you have to oversee and be a part of 9,000 locations plus throughout the entire country of serving mm -hmm. uh, patients throughout different communities and the pharmacists that are serving each of those communities. So I wanted to take a, a pause before we get into some of our questions. Give our listeners a reason in the, in the passion that you have for pharmacy starting out at Drake University um, when you graduated there with your doctor of a pharmacy degree and, and take us from that point. Yeah, definitely. So a little bit of background on me. Um, my, I did grow up with a family of pharmacists. So my father's a pharmacist. I'm the oldest of three. My younger brother's a pharmacist. I pretty much grew up with pharmacy my whole life. So many people may believe, you know, their, their careers in pharmacy may have started when they were, you know, going into college or going into a straight program for PharmD, for a PharmD program. Mine started since I was born. I pretty much grew up in a pharmacy. I saw the impact of what my dad had had made and also what that meant to my family and what the, the importance of servitude to the community and why it was so important to have someone that was an expert in medications because medications either helped or hurt your ability to be better. And um, as simple as an acute, you know, condition where you have an antibiotic for a child and everyone remembers the pink amoxicillin that you grew up with, you know, as a kid, I grew up with that all the way to complex care when my mom's best friend got diagnosed with cancer and how my dad had to help them navigate what the situation was and where to go for help. I mean, it was the wide spectrum of what was there. So pharmacy runs deep in my blood. Um, I did start off, uh, you know, with the direct program at, at Drake University. I knew I was going into pharmacy. I started off actually prior to that working at Walgreens when I was a kid. Um, I've been with the company for over 20, uh, around 24 years in June. So it's been a very long time. I never thought that as I started as a technician, I'd be still with Walgreens at that time because when you're, you know, 16 or 17, you don't imagine your life um, beyond the next year of wanting to get a license. And so, um, you know, I did start off at Walgreens at a very young age, and I was very fortunate and blessed to have a, a company that helped not only as I grew in my career, but also had the opportunities within the organization where I could stick. With them. But I did spend two years at Drake University. I did transfer from there to University of Illinois, Chicago, and I finished my PharmD there. So I um, spent two years at Drake and four years at UIC. So I got the best of both worlds. Um, 
I actually went to Drake for the dual MBA from the program, but I thought I'd never need an MBA because I was just going to be clinical. And so I was like, oh, I'll forget that. And then fast forward a bunch of years and I ended up being very much in administration. And so to all those young listeners out there, do not make decisions like that. You know, definitely invest in your education. It will definitely pay it forward. Um, but then since then, I graduated and I started off my career at Walgreens as a pharmacist. And pharmacy at that time in 2005, 2006, I wanted to shift the community setting into an ambulatory care model. And that was my goal um, because I could see what pharmacists could do out there and I knew what the impact could make. And I started off my career in immunizations. And so when you mentioned, Todd, you know, this pandemic was new. I was a part of the team um, at that time when we lived through H1N1 and we trained um, at that time, like a handful of pharmacists eventually having a nationwide program, but we had to fight the government and the state boards of pharmacies to let pharmacists to administer immunizations. And that was just a flu shot. And um, we were, that was back in 2007, 2008. And we learned then that we didn't have the infrastructure we needed for immunizations because if that pandemic actually um, you know, if that landed differently than what it did, then we needed the infrastructure to do that. So over the course of the last 10 to 15 years at Walgreens, we've been investing in technology, but to your point, we did not anticipate, you know, what happened with COVID. Um, and then since then, I've just been very lucky. I've been um, working my butt off like everyone else and, you know, really focused on the cause, but I uh, had experiences with immunizations, with specialty, with market access pharmacy operations and fast forward a bunch of years and now I'm responsible for supporting pharmacy operations and services here at Walgreens and really my role is to support all of our team members in the stores and ensure that we're continually advancing what pharmacists and pharmacies can do to help support um, our communities across the country. It's interesting that your background really helped to prepare you in many ways for this pandemic and, and helping to navigate best practices. The reason why I say that is you took on a task to dig deep into URAC accreditation for the first enterprise-wide uh, 300 pharmacies throughout the country being impacted by assuring the accreditation was followed and was um, evidence-based study and was tied into specialty pharmacy. I know that you kind of gleamed over that because of your entire career portfolio, uh, Dr. <laughs> Shaw, but I'm fascinated by specialty pharmacy and how it's been yeah. redefined over the years. I started in 2004, and I can't believe how many times specialty pharmacy in some ways have been reinvented based yeah. on the complexities as well as comorbidity for different disease states that are impacted by something else. And guess what? It's the pharmacist who's rising as a specialist within disease state management. So I kind of want to come back to the specialty pharmacy portion of that and just hear about uh, your passion in, in specialty pharmacy. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you, you mentioned it because it's something that is um, near and dear to me uh, when we think of. And as you know, Todd, like when we when you go ahead and graduate from pharmacy school and you go into the world, you, you don't realize all the nuances of complex care. Um, you know, when it comes to the the differences between <clears throat> acute versus chronic versus complex, especially as you leave the health system or the hospital setting. And so what what struck me as a cord was that, um, you know, there's an opportunity. I look at our pharmacists in our traditional community setting as primary care pharmacists. Yeah. 
There are pharmacists that are focusing in on hypertension and cholesterol and diabetes and the general practitioners and our pharmacists should, you know, would be working hand in hand for really those patients that need support. Then I look at our specialty pharmacists that are in a community setting and, and they're really the ones that are specialized in specific conditions, but that does require, as you mentioned, URAC accreditation and various other clinical training that we need to ensure that we're staying on top of new therapies, any sort of, you know, side effects that occur, a lot of administration, um, you know, aspects of it, because these are high cost medication. And we know with high cost medication, pharmacists and our technicians who are the core of everything that we do, our technicians have to be experts in billing and documentation and whatnot. So when we look at, you know, our pharmacists in that space and our pharmacies in that space, a couple of years ago, I realized that we have incredible pharmacies in the community setting, but a lot of specialty happens in a central-like environment. They're shipped out. Our, the medications are shipped out from a facility, and those patients may not interact with that pharmacist. And so we right now have about 300-plus locations across the country that are in the community, either on a health system campus, on a medical office building, or freestanding in a community. And the intent of those locations are having experts that are in every community, an expert on oncology, an expert on transplant, on fertility, rheumatoid arthritis. These are complex conditions, but we have trained individuals, our pharmacists and technicians to help handle and manage that. They get training around it. They stay up to date. They partner with their physicians and a part of the care team to take care of their patients. And they all are, to your point, like URAC accredited, making sure that the standards are, you know, set up in a way that they're, you know, advancing what the profession looks like. And I know we're going to get into pharmacogenomics in a little bit and where we can go in that space. But, you know, where I look at someone that has a BRCA2 gene, um, you know, profile and what medications should they be getting versus someone that doesn't, I mean, that's where... Um, you know, the future can be really incredible where we can make sure that every individual gets the right treatment for them. You know, we just need to, my, my biggest piece is when I mentioned that our pharmacists are so humble, you know, earlier and our pharmacists are incredibly humble. We make it easy for our for patients, our physicians, everyone around us. Um, we need to get paid for that though. We need to get reimbursed. So we need to make sure that the payment model is there so that we can do these additional services um, that, you know, I think both you and I are very excited about. I'm an, I'm excited as much as I am frustrated. And I feel like I come to work every day with both sides of that. And I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So mm-hmm. I'm always being positive about what can come. But it's like we're breaking out of a cocoon. And the cocoon is called status quo. And we yeah. know that pharmacy is going to become a brand new creature of healthcare services to patients uh, throughout the country in many different facets, um, compounding uh, freedoms for pharmacists who know how to compound, Mm -hmm. specialty pharmacists, pharmacists that are focused on senior care, pharmacists and community. The payment models right now, I feel like Dr. Shaw attached to the prescription instead of to the outcome. I feel like it's, it, we're held hostage in trying to manage the pharmacy and the future of pharmacy today and tomorrow. And I feel like we're held back by payment systems that were established in the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. that we're kind of hostaged in some ways, which includes 
provider status to ensure that a pharmacist is being paid for being an expert, let's say in a specific disease state. If I'm a pharmacist and, I, and I've been through uh, administration of a hyperlipidemia medication, and I know the outcome of day six and day 21 and day 62 of how this patient's probably going to feel, and I have this database, and I have artificial intelligence, and I have all this technology preparing me to serve that patient better, and then we sprinkle in another disease state that that patient is experiencing. Therein lies the power that our pharmacists have to shift gears and to ensure that um, patient services are tailored and are, you know, are, and are customized because of how horrible that patient must be feeling through different you know, stages of their treatment. Sometimes they feel great. Sometimes they don't feel good. Sometimes their, their family, family is going through extra stress. And the pharmacist that's managing that entire plan and program for the patient knows the payment gaps. They know the, the, the challenges. They know what the family's going through. Here in lies where I want to surround that pharmacist with as many resources as possible to not only empower them to get them excited about being a clinical pharmacist, but in ultimate, in ultimate I want the patient to look at the pharmacist and be like, this medication manager really knew what I was going through. And it's not just a community, not that there's anything wrong with community pharmacies. There's absolutely not. They're the heart and, you know, the, they're the heart of our pharmacy community because that's what, that's what our public sees is the community pharmacist. But I'm just saying to be able to pay and to support a pharmacist in a provider capacity and not a commodity capacity, mm -hmm. which I feel like mm -hmm. we're stuck in. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, you're, you're right on needing to change the model. We need to change the model to support that. And um, one component, I mean, we would have never at Walgreens, we administered, you know, over, I would say 23 to 24 million COVID tests. I mean, we never, we didn't administer a single test prior to COVID other than like a handful here or there, we tested out those types of pilots, but we, we weren't offering testing services through our pharmacists and our technicians, but that was a need that we created. Same thing with vaccinations. We administered over 60 million vaccinations in an 18 month period. Our pharmacists did that. And that was something that no national, there's no such thing as a national provider. There's no such thing as, you know, an organization or a profession that's been able to do that type of, you know, impact, make that type of impact. So we do have to change the model. And when it comes to our community pharmacists, you know, technology is a key component of removing these tasks from what they're doing so they can make those changes. And then when they do see a specialist, like a specialist at the pharmacist, it's not having to start off from looking at a medication review for the first time. I have pharmacists that are in a community setting that they would be doing MTM, CMRs, or TMRs, being able to really help ensure they're managing a patient's profile, synchronizing their medications, making sure that there isn't one interaction from another. Those are things that every pharmacist should be doing. But, you know, the current model, to your point, the reimbursement doesn't allow for that. The reimbursement is very much about the dispensing of the medication. So that's where technology and the regulatory environment has to shift. And so from a technology standpoint, we're investing quite a bit on automation, making sure we're taking administrative tasks out of the store so that our pharmacists have the time and the capacity to do that. 
digitizing as much as we can. We're working on the regulatory side of the fence of working with boards of pharmacy saying, okay, you please help us. We need to take a lot of the administrative requirements out the door because it's not around patient safety. It's just administrative. Why do we have to require like boards of pharmacy, or like uh, state lines to dictate who can help with what. Medicine doesn't require that. Medicine, you're able to do different things. Nursing doesn't require it. So pharmacy, we're creating barriers that are unnecessary to allow for capacity to be opened up. So we can do services like that. Um, and then separately being able to, you know, plan, be able to contract with a health plan versus through just with the medications. I think if we were able to contract an outcome, that would be such a shift. But provider status is something that we've been talking about for 10 plus years, uh, 12, 20 years, maybe it's been, you know, I can't believe it's 2022 already, so I'm dating myself. Um, but, you know, I think that the PrEP Act was the first step down that path. Um, I am hopeful with antivirals um, in the future. I think test and treat is something we should really push for as a profession because that's really where we need to head to is getting paid for the testing, for the assessment that we make, and then the treatment plan that is a step in that direction because I can see the impact of that for HIV prep and pep in the future. I can see that with flu testing and treating. Like there's such a huge opportunity for us to save patients' experience and the provider experience through that. Um, we just need to continue to push forward. So I do think there's a silver lining here. As frustrating as it is, we through the pandemic demonstrated the importance of pharmacy. And we just need to all come together and band together to demonstrate the financial and patient impact that this would make if we were able to get this across the finish line. Dr. Shaw, I felt that there was a swell and that was um, a swell of stress that was placed on our pharmacist in multiple settings. For example, our hospital system uh, pharmacists and our uh, specialty pharmacists and the community, obviously. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits and it just accelerates it by 10, by 20, by 30 pounds of, you know, cubic feet pressure against the pharmacist and having to get out the 600, 1200, 3000 prescriptions a day. But then now we're doing testing and now we're doing immunizations and now we're doing, you know, the, the changes of the vaccine protocol, the CDC possibly changing some guidelines and how many patients that were standing at the counter in the community space, Dr. Shaw, looking at the pharmacist with worry in their eyes because they're not quite sure who to believe. And they asked the question to the medication expert right there. And they, they might not even have the time that they want to be able to sit down with that patient and do a, you know, a 30 minute, 45 minute consult to really dig into what this patient is talking about. Cause sometimes you know as well as I do, just in general communications, I may say something to you and it may take you to ask me a question to really pull out of me what I'm really concerned about. Mm -hmm. And pharmacists are so good at that because yeah. they're able to ask the, the couple different questions about, well, wait a second, how are you feeling in the morning, you know, when you first get out of bed and you, you, do you drink some water and does the nausea go away or does it, or mm -hmm. does it increase, does it get worse, does it get less? And now all of a sudden the pharmacist is digging into that very specific disease state, AKA 
the condition that they know that they're going through because of the medication that they're on and so on and so forth. What can a Walgreens, as an organization that has so much influence and power, do for the time being to get us to a point where we can exhale and some of this stress can come off of our shoulders? Are there any practices that you could kind of give out to all the pharmacists and even our pharmacy technicians listening right now in this time that we're not out of the woods yet per se of the of the pandemic, but I feel like I can see that field. I feel like I can see through the through the forest per se, like there is very bright light at the end of this very stressful tunnel. But what do you say to those pharmacy professionals? Yeah, first of all, again, I'm gonna reiterate the thank you um, to all of our pharmacy professionals, our technicians, our pharmacists, and all of the teams that support our pharmacists. Um, you know, we know that there's like, especially at Walgreens, we have store managers and we have assistant managers and everyone is playing a role. Um, and we started off with the two years, you know, it every couple months, you know, we're thinking, oh my God, we're going to get out of it. When the vaccine hit, okay, six months later, it's going to get better. And then six months later, Delta came. And then a couple months later, Omicron came. And, you know, what we're starting to learn is, is that um, we're, we're having a new future of living with COVID versus having to feel like COVID will completely be eradicated. Similar to what had happened with the flu, I'd imagine in 1918 when the Spanish flu hit and being able to go ahead and manage through that. And so really the light at the end of this tunnel is the fact that for those that are vaccinated and those that get tested and those that follow appropriate protocol with hand hygiene and masks if they're sick and all of those pieces, we are seeing a, an impact for those that are vaccinated on hospitalizations and deaths. And all of you are responsible for helping us through that. And what that means is, is that individuals that are getting vaccinated, their likelihood of getting sick is just that much less. That way, it's less of a burden on the healthcare system and less than a burden on our pharmacy teams as well. And so that's one piece of it that I would say, one, a thank you, but two, especially with what we've seen with Omicron, it's been, um, you know, it's been really great data in the grand scheme of things of those that have been vaccinated and the impact that's made. Um, what has been tough is we're still, you know, if someone does have symptoms, you don't come into work. And so what does that do with the entire workforce and how do you manage through all of that? So there is a domino effect that's continuing to happen, but what is, um, you know, the forest through the trees pretty much is the fact that the more information we're getting, we're getting smarter and smarter in how we're handling the situation. A year ago, we would have said the, the individual would have to be out of the, like pretty much out of work for 14 days and then have a negative test and be able to manage through that. Now we know that, you know, based on recent information, you know, if you're vaccinated and you wear a mask and the likelihood of transmission continues to decrease, like, you know, you're able to take steps to protect yourself. So that has been a huge benefit. On the profession side, um, you know, I never thought that we would have individuals at the ages of 60, 70 and upwards leveraging digital technology in a way that never existed before. Mm -hmm. And so the best thing I would say that anyone can do is help encourage your patients and your customers to utilize digital technology or technology in general. Picking up the phone, the IVR, 
You don't have to always talk to someone. You can get to your answer by pressing one and know when the hours are open. You can go online and be able to get information. I never thought my parents would be experts at utilizing the app, but they are. They don't, they don't ask me as many questions because they know what to use. And that is something that is because of the pandemic, because they were nervous about going in and talking to someone. And so they're now, we see the adoption of technology being that much greater. So what does that mean for us? We have to help with the change management curve. Healthcare is going to be focused on a combination of you know, face-to-face and local, but then also leveraging technology assets and having our patients be able to be accustomed to that is going to be critical so that when, if this ever happened again, the burden doesn't have to lie on the individuals in the store, the individuals in the practice setting. We can leverage technology in a way that is going to be light years ahead of where we're at even today. So let's uh, talk about technology now that you open that door, because once again, it's fascinating to me, but what has happened at your, um, your role in your stage and having the resources that you have at Walgreens with regards to technology? Is it driven? Are you seeing a technological advancement in telehealth, in the usage of pharmacogenomics, in disease state health management databases? Like share with our listeners yeah. what's happening inside the walls of, of Walgreens. Walgreens, yeah. It's been incredibly enlightening to see what's happened with Walgreens um, and the data that we've been able to get. So one example, I'm going to start off with just um, patient experience and scheduling an appointment. I can tell you at Walgreens prior to COVID um, and the pandemic, people would naturally just come into a pharmacy and say, okay, I want a flu shot. Come and serve me right now. And you know, we've created this mentality of you walk in and you get whatever you need in 15 minutes, like instant gratification. Yeah. And in reality, that's not that's not a physician practice. You can't just randomly walk in and be like, yeah, come serve me in 10 minutes. In this situation, what we have done, though, and people were getting upset. Patients were getting very upset that I wasn't able, you know, our pharmacists weren't able to do that because when you have 25 people that are wanting a service, you have to schedule that. So what did we do? We invested in our scheduling platform. And so now we're able to schedule tests and vaccine and future consultations well in advance so that patients don't have to wait in line. Huge, huge shift for pharmacy. That means we're starting our step, even just subconsciously with our patient base, that scheduling time with your pharmacy is of value. And doing it so that you are, you know, supported as well as the pharmacy team, again, of value. And so that's been a huge shift for the perception as well as what that, like what the real um, experience has been and what that also has done. So testing is a fantastic example of what's happened on the data and technology side. My, my uh, pharmacy geeky side is going to come out in which um, our patients are getting lab tests. So COVID tests through our drive throughs and so patients will come in. So right now we have about 7,000 locations that are offering testing services. May it be um, at point of care testing in our stores that are run through our pharmacists, our pharmacy teams are processing, or through collecting the sample and sending it out to a lab, such as Aegis Lab or LabCorp or others. Mm-hmm. Most recently, what we've been able to do is with the samples um, upon patient consent, but with the samples that are coming through on Aegis Labs, we've been able to create a COVID index. And so we were able to identify the first Omicron variant 
in Missouri because of one of the tests that our pharmacists ended up conducting. And we're able to share that with the government. And now we have a surveillance system across the country based on the tests that we're able to provide and then be able to make sure that we understand, okay, we're seeing a pocket hit in Massachusetts or we're seeing something happen in certain pockets of the country and then changing our protocols internally or sharing that public with our departments of health so that different actions can be taken. I mean, it is absolutely fascinating to see the impact of that. And it's similar to what we've seen with the flu index, but the flu index was based on what other surveillance is providing. This is Walgreens data and Aegis's data that's really feeding into it. And then we're constantly building more data sets so that we can help influence what the next step is. And so if we believe there's an outbreak that's around the corner, we're able to flag right away to the Department of Health, hey, we're seeing something here, you know, what can we do in this space? So it's just been really, really great to see. And that's just been in the last, I mean, we stood up testing in the last year. Um, and um, since then we've been able to, to really expand upon that pretty, pretty immensely. Dr. Shaw, I want you to play a game with me since you have such a pedigree in pharmacy, and this will be kind of fun because I'm going to give you my version, <laughs> and then we have to have your version. So okay, sounds best? great. If right. you're if you uh, if you're okay with if you're testing me on clinical knowledge, we'll see how far I can get. It's I am a, a I am not a pharmacist. So there's no way I'm going up against okay, good. clinical knowledge. So <laughs> don't even worry about it. All even right. though you may know more than I do. <laughs> That's fine. All right. So here's it is. It's called King of the World or Queen of the World or Leader of the World right. per se mm -hmm. pharmacy, right? So if it were up to me, if I were able to overnight change something in pharmacy, um, and in the and I'll give you my version after it, you're the guest, so you, you go first. And that is, if you could change something in pharmacy overnight to alleviate the pressures of our community-based pharmacists who are feeling a tremendous amount of, of strain, and then in turn, give them the support that they, that they really are looking for to bring the joy back to being a pharmacist because, and I don't remember this because I wasn't in pharmacy school, but I know from talking to so many hundreds, if not thousands of pharmacists over the last 20 years of being a part of this amazing industry that there's so much excitement and, and different kinds of excitement. Some of our pharmacists uh, as students wanted to go into specialty or pediatrician mm -hmm. or seniors or technology or medical science liaison or something. But if you really could change something overnight to not only alleviate the stress that pharmacists have, but then also um, really challenge pharmacists, because there's, I don't want to just come to work and do the same thing per se over mm -hmm. and, over and over and over again for the next 25, yeah. 30, 40 years. I like to be challenged. And I think mm -hmm. pharmacists, oh my gosh, they're brilliant. They're so intelligent. They oh, have yeah. depth, right? Wicked smart. So, you're the you're the leader of the world of all things pharmacy. What do you change overnight to really kind of empower and, and reinvigorate our pharmacists? Yeah. Um, my biggest thing that will cascade to all of it is the reimbursement of how we how our pharmacists get paid and it really be focused on the the outcome and the impact that we're making um, and the and the services around medication management versus the individual pill that we're dispensing. And so if we can change that, that would have a cascade event across everything. It would 
it would allow our pharmacists to really get tested and pressured on making, making decisions, making recommendations to improve the outcome of our patients. Um, it would allow for autonomy in a way that doesn't exist today. Um, and so, um, and it would, it would allow for us to value the true impact of what we can do. And so I, I 100% agree with you. Our pharmacists are wicked smart. I mean, they are so intelligent. Um, you know, it, it amazes me every day of the things and the lives that they've been able to save because of just one or two small recommendations. And if we could reimburse our pharmacists for that and value that, that would be a huge game changer. I so agree with you because not only are they wicked smart, I like, I always say wicked smart, so I'm, I'm agreeing with you, <laughs> but it, not only are they so intelligent about the specific disease state, the drug-drug interaction, the drug allergy, and really memorizing, uh, and they can actually see molecular, uh, um, you know, models in their brain as they're doing some of these calculations, but they're problem solvers. They're problem mm -hmm. solvers because they've said, hey, I remember, you know, the similar situation with type 2 diabetes patient that also had hyper, hyperlipidemia or some blood disorder or maybe hypertension or something that was comorbid where they were able to disseminate the outcome almost as like a predictive model modeling uh, algorithm of being able to see what could come of this situation and being able to change and alleviate it. And if it wasn't tied to the prescription, as you said, and, in, and if it were my role overnight to change something, getting it paid for is one thing. But if I could have two pharmacists per shift throughout every pharmacy in the entire country where one pharmacist was doing that daily work of the first you know, review, the final review in prescription processing, and then the other pharmacist was out in the aisles being able to counsel and, and talk with and expand from and talk about, you know, hey, this vitamin E as a supplement might do this for you, or mm -hmm. here's vitamin B if you're stressed out and mental health and, and getting them more support. And then halfway through the day of that eight hour shift or that 10 hour shift, shift those pharmacists yeah. and give the next pharmacist a chance to kind of, you know, come from out behind the counter and mm -hmm. the intensity of it. And what I'm, what it really, you and I both are wishing for the same thing because if, if the reimbursement models were different, where were we paying a pharmacist to be a practitioner and to be a, pr a provider of medication expertise, which they are anyway, yeah. then we could concentrate on that so that we know that the entity, aka um, Walgreens, for example, would ensure that they could get compensated for these types of services, That's right. types of insights. Yeah. Absolutely. That, you're spot on, Todd. Um, our pharmacists are so incredible and you know are able to we have pharmacists that work in a community setting go to specialty from specialty work in a health system setting you know they they've been able to and then go into field leadership and they have such a wide array of skills um however how our compensation is across all is the same you could be busy saving you know like really looking at a medication profile i mean looking at a patient's profile and identifying why they might be going to the hospital every 90 days. It's because their cocktail of medications are leading to it or whatever, you know, situation that's causing that to happen. And, you know, um, if we were able to, you know, change that and get to provider status or a subset of that in some capacity or baby steps towards that, 
that would um, that would just tremendously change, you know, what that would look like. And I love what you said. Um, you know, our pharmacists are practitioners of medications. Um, they're experts in that space. And we just need to shift the reimbursement profile to, to really account for that. The primary care pediatrician is not arguing with the expert in oncology at the physician <laughs> level as to what your specialty is and what your strength is. It's like, get yeah. out of the way, get administration out of your way, doc, and do your job because you're good at it. Yeah. And that is exactly what I'm saying to the American Medical Association out there in the lobbying groups. Pharmacists don't want to be physicians. They no. don't want to be doctors and pediatricians and primary care and oncology specialists. What they want to be is they want to be the medication authorities and experts in a field that they're saturated in and they love and they're nerding out, like you said, mm -hmm. Dr. Shaw, about how you nerd out on things. <laughs> That's where they want the strength. They want the support and they want the reimbursement yeah. to take yep. those roles and those. And the, by the way, the physicians don't have time to dig into it yeah. to understand how, for example, how's opioid usage disorder going to impact diabetes, a very serious right. diabetes case, or how is... Yeah alcoholism going to impact um, my blood disorder or my, un, you know, my um, oncology therapy. The pharmacist is going to be able to dig into that and they're going to be able to save our system so millions and millions, billions of dollars because they're going to be able to navigate what's in the best interest of the patient's mm -hmm. health. So it's like, and be a part of the, the <laughs> yes. well, and also it's, you know, to be a part of the care team. Yep. not to replace the care team. There's a huge difference. And in a really solid care team, I've spoken to many physicians that say, who needs to be a part of the care team? The pharmacist, your nurse, having, you need PT, OT, you need your physician. That is all because it's physical, it's mental, it's physiological. Like there's so many different aspects to help individuals through their healthcare journey and allowing pharmacists to be a part of that, that table and being a part of that, that is a huge component in order for us to really resolve where we're at today. Um, but yeah, I, I, I appreciate and applaud your efforts on being able to help fight the good fight because we're, we're right there with you. I think it's just educating those that are around us to help remind them of the importance of what our pharmacists and our technicians do every single day. And like I said earlier on, you know, our pharmacists are so humble. So sometimes you don't even know all of the different steps that are taken in order for us to even dispense that medication or conduct a comprehensive medication review. And, um, you know, it's our time to be vocal about it. We have to be vocal and share that with, um, you know, regulatory bodies and, payer communities and others that are around there and then put, you know, like, and then be able to demonstrate it and show that we're making an impact. So it's not just, you know, we're saying it, we want to be held accountable. We want to make sure that we're, we're actually delivering against that. In a previous interview that you did with Fierce Healthcare, um, which I really enjoyed this interview in preparation for today's uh, discussion with you, I read, and there was a question that said advice that you would give your, your younger self and you had said, hey, don't let perfection get in the way of delivering solutions for each other, your teams, your patients. It is important to focus on being a part of the solution, even if it isn't perfect. And that's literally what you've been saying this entire interview is 
you know, big gargantuan conglomerate organizations like the size of Walgreens, there are so many different lives and people that are making this organization work. And there's so mm -hmm. many different pieces of the puzzle. It, it's not, it's never going to be perfect. So it's, there's always going to be some nuance or something that's going to be happening. But I think there's a hashtag I use constantly all the time, Dr. Shaw, which is hashtag together RX and together mm -hmm. RX is literally what I believe in. And I believe in, we're going to, we're going to get through this pandemic. We're going to get through the stress of community pharmacy, feeling like they're on the edge of burnout. We're going to get through um, the implementation of um, health record system APIs between a pharmacy management system and the big EHR <laughs> systems. And we're going to get through it, but we're going to get through it together, RX. We're going to get through it because we're doing this. And I believe people like you, Dr. Shaw, who are who have been so vested in, in, in pharmacies running through your blood because of, of your background, of your family, and how long you've been part of fam uh, pharmacy. These are the people, you and I, these are the people who are so passionate about pharmacy. We're the ones that are going to be the game changers. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I, I think that's so great. I love the hashtag. Um, I have a hashtag of committed to care. And, um, you know, at least me personally, that's something that I've always kind of utilized. And um, you're 100% right. We, we are, the pandemic has demonstrated it. We are stronger together. We can make an impact together and we will get out of this together. And it is hard. It, there, are, there are days, there are weeks, um, you know, everyone is going through something. Everyone is, it, it could be at work, it could be personally, it could be privately, any situation. And we just, you know, the, the way out of it is together so that we can get ourselves through this, you know, through this phase in our lives and be in a better spot than where we're at today. And um, we wouldn't have gotten to where we're at even today if it wasn't by taking that together approach and making sure we were partnering together so that we got to that point. So, um, and you're right, perfection, you know, it's one of my mantras, um, perfection can, you know, not let you get anywhere. You'll, you'll stay stifled because of that. And, you know, we just have to constantly think, okay, if not this, then that, and 80% is okay. Let's get to 80% and then we'll figure out the next. And by the time you get to that next phase, it's changed again. So you got to just constantly innovate. And that's the amazing thing about pharmacy too, is that, you know, we're just constantly innovating. What else can we do to make it work? And it, I think you said it well, is we're problem solvers. You know, that's what pharmacy is. It's a problem solver. This is why we've been able to survive through the pandemic is because we're constantly solving one problem after another. And so I fully have faith that, you know, our Walgreens pharmacists have done an incredible job these past two years. I am so looking forward to what the next chapter holds and what impact we can make on building upon the last couple of years so that we can continue to influence and improve the communities that we serve. Dr. Rena Shaw, this has been an honor and a pleasure for us to, uh, to learn from you and listen to you and have vision of a, of a major um, leadership and player within the pharmacy industry, Walgreens specifically. I wanna give a shout out to the Walgreens organization and thank you for uh, setting up uh, this interview and sharing this time with us. Please do not be a stranger. Come back to the Pharmacy Podcast to share a vision of the of the future. And let's dig into maybe even some nerdier stuff and get into, <laughs> I'd love to come back to pharmacogenomics and talk about the efficacy of 
very specific medications and then feeding that data back to our manufacturers so they Mm -hmm. can start advancing the development of medications through like clinical trials to really wrap around the patient's specific disease state and being able to see what Walgreens has in store uh, for for the development of even medications. Yeah, I I would love to. That is a whole separate hour we could spend on just on just that because we're doing really great stuff in that space as well. So um, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, I just truly appreciate it. I appreciate your advocacy and your focus on the profession. So thank you. And again, a huge thank you to all of our pharmacists our at Walgreens and across the profession on what you do every day to really drive the profession forward and support your patients. Dr. Rena Shaw, Group Vice President of Pharmacy Operations and Services at Walgreens. We thank you so much for being part of the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Thank you.